I'm reminded of the guy that was walking through the park, had left the lake, one of the state parks, and he had a, he had a bucket of fish, and he passed a, um, he passed a, like a game warden or a police officer or something like that, and they said, what's in your bucket there? And he says, oh, I got some fish, and he's like, oh, yeah, you can't fish here, didn't you know that? I have to give you a ticket. And he says, oh, no, I, didn't, I wasn't fishing, these are my pet fish. He says, I like, to, I like to bring them, you know, to the park and let them play in the water. I let them out and they swim around. I call them and they come back. And the warden's like, oh, yeah, sure, let me see that. He said, sure. So they go down to the river and he dumps the fish in there and they swim around for about five minutes. And he said, okay, call them back. He said, call what back? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So. There was a game show back in the 70s, maybe some of you remember the 70s, 80s, called Match Game. It's still on TV and reruns. Anybody ever watch Match Game, right? And the, the, the host of the show would uh, give you a, a phrase and you'd have to fill in the blank and then the celebrities would try to match the, the contestant on the show. And I thought, well, let's play a round of that today. I'll give you a blank. We'll see how many can match each other or maybe how many can match me this morning. But here, here would be the question that I would ask you. Own your own blank. And I had, a, I had one answer on my mind, and then another answer immediately popped into my head. But I went to Google, and I typed in, own your own, and then it autofills for you, and it's like, oh yeah, there's all the answers that uh, you could potentially use. So own your own, I'll, give, I'll ask a few people to share, what did you come up with? Own your own life? House. House. That was on Google. Own your own choices. Anybody else? Attitude, Attitude okay. Um, very good. So yeah, own your own house, own your own car. Those are the two that popped up on the Google autofill. I had thought of this one, own your own mistakes, like someone said choices, which is very good advice for life, own your own mistakes. But the answer I was really going for, and the answer that I, I, pretty prevalent in our world today, that'll be the kind of the jumping point for this message, is own your own truth. Own your own truth. And that's a hot one today. Everybody's talking about this need to own your own truth. And that is actually very bad advice and very dangerous advice that can cause you a lot of problems. So this is the real, and, and the thing is today, if you push back on this, like if I tell you your truth is not good or right or correct, well, I'm a bad person. I'm a terrible person. It's like, hey, shame on you for telling me that my truth is not right. And as I said last week, it is very hard as we talk about apologetics to share a very exclusive truth in a very inclusive world, to say there are definitive right and wrongs in a world that says anything goes. Here's a, a quote from Brett McLaren's book, The Wisdom Pyramid, um, The Dead End of Your Truth. In Oprah Winfrey's Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech at the 2018 Golden Globe, she said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Your truth, those two words are so entrenched in our lexicon today that we hardly recognize them for the incoherent nightmare that they are. Among other things, the philosophy of your truth destroys families when a dad suddenly decides his truth is calling him to a new lover, a new family, or maybe even a new gender. It's a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one person's truth will go to battle with another person's truth and devoid of reason, only power decides the victor. 
Your truth also puts an incredible self-justifying burden on the individual. If we are all self-made projects whose destinies are wholly ours to discover and implement, life becomes a rat race of performative individuality. Live your truth, autonomy, is, is, is as exhausting as it is incoherent. Depression is the inevitable result and the inner, inexorable inerexable counterpart of the human being who is his or her own sovereign what a powerful quote there and i wonder if maybe this idea uh this idea of your own truth is not on the on the on the heart of god and in the mind of, of peter and paul both as they write in the scriptures for instance peter writes this or well jude first writes this jude writes beloved although i was very eager to write to you about our common salvation I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God, who into sensuality and deny our only master and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're told to contend for the faith when our faith is under attack today in the world. At the same time, Peter wrote this, and again, this kind of shows us maybe kind of a bit of juxtaposed ideas here that we have to balance. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so that, that's maybe what was on Peter's mind as he writes this, this whole issue of when you make a defense, you have to do it gently and with respect because people are going to push back on the truth. So know your own evidence, hone your arguments, and be ready to defend the faith as well as your hope, but do so with gentleness and respect. And this can really be challenging as we try to decide what does that look like? One of the areas that, and I do a lot of reading about what's going on in church today and lots of quotes from church leaders, one of the areas, this is a big hot button issue today, is what do you do with a transgender person who wants you to call them by their preferred pronouns? What do you do with that? Do you show them respect and use those pronouns or don't you? And I, I would say, hey, I have to tell you the truth. I can't validate your, de your deception or your, I can't validate your lie just to make you feel better. But that, that's a tough one. It's like we want to be gentle and we want to be respectful we ought to be truthful, and there is a challenge that gets raised there. We're in week eight of this series, defending the faith, providing rational answers to a reasonable faith. And, uh, and yeah, today we're going to make the case for the truth. We're going to make the case for what we would call absolute truth, that there is an absolute truth that you can know. And I will say, this is really maybe the biggest obstacle to apologetics. When you're trying to defend the faith and trying to, 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 to do evangelism and, and trying to, to, to show why you have hope, the reality is it comes down to the, the, this issue of this biggest obstacle of the truth. And it goes back to what I said in, in week one, and I've shared this a few times, the one question that can potentially end any debate. If I could prove to you that, be, that Jesus was real, his word was true, and that he rose from the dead, would you believe? And there are a lot of people today that if, if you said, well, yeah, no, I wouldn't believe. Like you could prove all that to me and I still wouldn't believe. And then you can see there's, a, there's an impasse in your, in your efforts to, to kind of evangelize, to do apologetics. That person is predetermined that regardless of what you say, they're not going to believe because they don't want to believe and they don't want to live their life a certain way. Pretty powerful.
It, it reminds me a little bit of the quote from last week. Remember this quote from last week? The resurrection makes Christianity the most irritating religion on earth. Because the reality is if you can prove the resurrection that Jesus really rose from the dead, you pretty much can prove the whole Bible. You can prove Christ is, he, he said he's, then you have to deal with the entire word of God. Everything it says is, is then fair game to deal with because Christ really did rise from the dead and the reality is the, 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 the truth that Christ rose from the dead, most every honest historian believes that he really rose from the dead. <clears throat> That's not a very debated issue. I was thinking it kind of goes back to what Paul said about creation, back to the Romans, remember? He said that those who fail to see God in creation are what? They're suppressing the truth. Like the truth is obvious in creation, so to ignore God in creation, you are deliberately suppressing the truth. And, and I think that shows us that the reality is it's not that some people don't see God, it's that they don't want to see God. Because if I see God in creation or if I see God in the resurrection, oh, wait a minute, then all of the Bible becomes ownable to me and I have to begin to process it and I have to kind of live under its authority and so many people don't want to live that way. Here's our big idea today. Jesus has the authoritative answer to life's biggest and deepest questions. And we've talked about in this series the biggest questions of life and the deepest questions of life. The biggest questions revolve around, of course, as we said, God, the Bible, creation, the gospel, you know, Jesus, the cross, all of that. The deepest, the biggest questions of life are right there and they're answered in scripture and they're answered through Christ and at the same time, life's deepest questions like questions about my identity and my worth and my significance and my purpose and my eternity. All of those questions then, Jesus has the authoritative answer. When we believe that he has the absolute truth, that really is true. The questions that plague our soul, he has the obvious answer for it. And, and the question is, while many people claim to have their own truth, this is the fascinating thing. People will say, well, I, I'm owning my own truth and yet they're still searching for it. It's like, why are you searching for it? If you're owning your own truth, if you have your own truth, why are you still searching for the truth? Because you haven't found it yet. Because I would contend there is an absolute truth found in Christ. So we're in John chapter eight this morning with three observations that Jesus will give us and John will give us about this issue of truth. And one fascinating thing about the book of John, 45 times in the book of John, you find the word true or truth. And that is far more than any other book in the Bible. You might find it 20 sometimes in the Psalms, which has like a hundred and some chapters. But I mean, really, like you find it a few times, two or three times in a, lot of, in a lot of books of the Bible. 45 times John deals with this issue of true and truth, so he has something very powerful to say about that reality. 45 times. So again, making the case for the absolute truth Three observations here in John chapter 8, and we will start in John chapter 8, verse 12. We're not going to read all 40 of these verses, but we're going to jump around here. Again, Jesus spoke to them, and he's got three groups of people here he's kind of contending with or, or interacting with, the, the religious leaders, uh, those who are considering his words, and those who have believed him and are his followers. There's like three different groups of people in this chapter and again Jesus spoke to them saying I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life so the Pharisees said to, <clears throat> said to him you are be bearing witness about yourself your testimony is not true 
Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. And so the first thing here we see is that Jesus tells the truth. He tells the truth, he does. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. And they're saying, hey, you're just testifying on your own behalf. And, and we know that wouldn't work, right? I mean, Helen knows, she could tell you if you go into court and, and you, you're, 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 you're on trial for something and you, you call up your witness and it's you. I didn't do it. <laughs> well, I don't work very well. But there is something more here because Jesus, what he's doing, I think this is fascinating and I've never saw this before, but it's Jesus as a man saying, I was born a man, but I have studied the scriptures. I know who I am and where I'm going because I have studied the scriptures. I know that I'm actually God. Like, again, he didn't know that because he was just, you know, had the supernatural knowledge. He set aside his God card so he discovered who he was by studying the scriptures, realizing, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the set one, I'm actually God who has set aside my divine privilege to come and die for humanity. And so he's making, he's a witness for who he is, kind of his deity in a sense. I think that's fascinating. And so he does defend him Self. And he is a real threat to these religious leaders. That's the truth of what is going on here. Now, note what he says here. You judge according to the flesh. So basically, the reason they could not see Jesus for who he was is because they could only see his humanity. They couldn't see past his humanity. They couldn't see his deity. They couldn't see how he fulfilled prophecy and scripture. And they couldn't see him from the Old Testament. And they couldn't hear in his teachings how he undergirded the rest of the scriptures. But then he goes on. Look, look what else he says here that's fascinating. In your law, and it's the law of Moses here, but he's, it's, they follow the law, right? In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father. And so here's what he says. He says, basically, Jesus was verified by the two witnesses required in the law. In the, old, in the Jewish law, like you had to have two witnesses to verify something. And so there was two witnesses. The father and the son verified, yes, who the son was. And we know this, right? Like, remember when Jesus was, started his ministry and was baptized and the dove came down and the voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The father was bearing witness to the son in that moment. Um, and, and so we see that. Jesus comes along and, and, uh, and he bears witness basically through all the prophetic teaching and all the patriarchal stories of the Old Testament that he was, he was the one who filled, fulfilled those. He taught those. And uh, again, the father verified or witnessed to Jesus through all the miracles that he allowed him to perform, all the power that he gave him to perform those miracles. So together, they are the witnesses. There's, there's this fascinating conversation the night that Jesus is arrested. And he's with Pilate. Maybe you remember this. And they're up there and they're talking. And, and here's what Pilate says. Pilate therefore said unto Jesus, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. And two, two things kind of there that are going on. And, and on one hand, Jesus says, I came, to bear, I came to tell the truth. I came to bear witness of the truth. And at the same time, 
Pilate asked that age-old question, really, what is the truth? What is truth, right? That's what we're asking today. What is truth? We all have our own truth. Own your own truth. And we're here to say, no, there is an absolute truth. And Jesus came to communicate that truth to us. Jesus has the authoritative answer to life's biggest and deepest questions. He does. The biggest questions of life and the deepest questions of life, Jesus has the answer to those questions. And so as we do apologetics, we need to, to drive it back to this point to say, the things you're wrestling with, the things you're searching for, yes, Jesus has the answer to those things. He tells the truth. At the same time, Jesus is the truth. Not only tells the truth, Jesus is the truth. Now we can see this in the text in an interesting way. We, we go down to verse 31. Verse 30 through verse 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's an equation in there that can help us see that Jesus is the truth. It's kind of fascinating. Look at this. It tells us in what we just read. It says the truth sets you free. The truth will set you free, right? And then it says, no, Jesus sets you free. What does that tell us? If the truth sets me free and Jesus sets me free, that tells me that Jesus is what? The truth. Jesus is the truth that can set me free. I think that's pretty powerful. So what does this look like? Let me give you three handles here to kind of get a grip on this reality that Jesus is the truth. Well, the truth is a person. The truth is a person. We need to think about, would you define the truth in that way? I don't know, but we should. The truth is a person. It tells us in John 1.14, in the word, which was Jesus, became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth full of grace and truth and this is a powerful chapter that deals with truth and it's it's kind of interesting the first eight verses is, is when he catches that woman in, a, in 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 adultery they bring that woman in adultery and they try to accuse her and it's all about god's grace there to a great degree and then the rest of this chapter is all about the incredible truth that jesus is he was full of grace and truth. To encounter Jesus was to encounter the truth as well as grace. I think a lot of people today associate Jesus with grace, but maybe not with truth. Well, they'll say, well, but Jesus never talked about this issue, or he never talked about that issue. He didn't talk about everything. That doesn't mean it's right. The scriptures talk about probably every issue we would wonder. I, I thought back again, this hot debate about what pronouns to use. What do you think Jesus would do with a transgender person? Would he go up and, and affirm? Would he, would he affirm their pronouns when they're lying to themselves? No, because he's the truth. But he would still be full of grace and he would have a way to do that that would be really profound. The, the I am statements we looked at last week of Jesus, here's one of them, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. So the truth is indeed a person, and this really is significant. Think about what, how we often view truth today, though. 
It's not, it's not like a person. It's not like an absolute fact or a resolute uh, kind of issue. It's, it's, it's more of a philosophy. Colossians 2, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Colossians 2, 6, and then verse 7, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the eternal uh, elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And there's a couple things in this passage that stand out. First, note what he said here, right? Rooted and built up and established in the faith. And you know, you could really interchangeably put the word truth in there. Because our faith is rooted in what? Our faith really is rooted in truth. So I'm established in the truth just as much as I'm established in the faith. It's, it's kind of one and the same thing there. And that's the thing about our faith. As Christians, our faith is an absolute truth. It's not a philosophy. It is actually a truth. And I think that is really, really, really powerful. The, the second thing here is there is a big difference, again, between philosophy, right, and truth. Here's, here's the definition of philosophy, the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline. A, per, a particular system of philosophical thought, the study of the theoretical basis of a particular branch of knowledge or experience, the philosophy of science, a theory or attitude held by a person or organization that acts as a guiding principle for behavior. And so you have these two issues here. You have really a contrast in Colossians 2 here between truth and philosophy. Truth is eternal. Philosophy is changing. Truth is God's determination, our creator's determination. Philosophy is man's opinion. Truth is theology. Philosophy is theory. There is a big difference in this book that has been around now, uh, going back 6,000 years to Adam and Eve, really, is when the, the basis of, of the, the, the word comes into play, and it's telling us God's absolute truth. It is theology. It is not just a theory. And so we have to think about how we are going to build our life on philosophy, a man's philosophy, or on the absolute truth of God's word. And when you find the absolute truth of God's word, to a degree, you have to stop. You don't, you don't have to keep, keep searching. You have found it. You have found the truth. Here's the other thing. When, when you think that Christ is our life and Christ is the truth, that means then that I have an identity rooted in the truth. Like I have a true identity in Christ. I don't have an identity that is defined by this world, that is defined by my uh, bad days, that is defined by my behaviors, by your opinion of me. My identity is true. This is who God says I am, and this is who I am. This is for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. If you're not a Christian, yeah, you're defined by the passing whims of this world, by the philosophies of this world, by the opinions of others, by your baddest days and your worst behaviors. That's what defines you. You come to Christ, you have an identity that's now rooted in the truth. And just to know this, Satan loves to attack our identity more than anything else. That's what he did for, for, for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? What, what did Satan, Satan's first attack in the garden on Eve was on her identity. He said, if you eat this fruit, you'll be what? You'll be like God. Big lie, right? Because she already was like God, created in his image. And when she ate the fruit, she was no longer in the, really, the same state that she was before. 
Like her image in God was, was now broken and there was a spiritual death that had consumed her and they were kicked out of the garden and Satan loves to attack your identity and he wants you to define yourself by your worst days and behaviors and by the opinions of this world and others. Just don't let him do that. So the truth is a person and then the truth is absolute. That's what we're talking about here. The truth is absolute. There's a truth that is just definite. We can know this truth. Truth is not relative. That's the common view of the world today. It's not. And that's where the idea comes in that you can own your own truth. That you can decide what is right and wrong for you. But you can't decide right what's right and wrong for you without bearing the consequences of that. You know, it's kind of funny or maybe... Better yet, sad. We live in a world that decries this idea of absolute truth, but you take anybody up to the top of a skyscraper and you have them walk around the edge of that skyscraper that's 500 feet in the air and they would be queasy in their stomach. And why? Because they absolutely know the truth that if they stumble over that edge, gravity's gonna take them down because that's absolute truth. So the world lives by absolute truth every day. But when you apply it to the spiritual, that's when like, ah, wait a minute, we're talking spiritual things here. And, and God's like, no, I'm the creator. You're a body, you're a soul, you're a spirit. The spirit, this is the body, this is the soul, this is the material, everything. There is absolute truth that governs the universe and it governs all spiritual things as well. Jesus talks about that, that if you die in your sins, absolute truth. You die separated from your creator. That's the reality. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. You, do you see the, the nod to absolute truth there? Like you can know the truth. Most philosophy is like, well, I'm discovering my truth. I'll one day find my truth. Well, you can't really know the truth. No, you can know the truth. Jesus said you can know the truth. If you're his disciple, if, you're, if, you're, if you've been redeemed, if you've been born again, if, you, if, you have a new, if you're a new creation in Christ, you can know the truth. Absolutely know. You don't have to theorize on it, wonder about it, or even worry over it. You can know it. There's a popular YouTube channel, almost 2 million subscribers, called The Pursuit of Wonder. In one of their videos dealing with existentialism, here is the point that they make about this issue that I thought was really interesting. No, now more than ever, we are exposed to a plethora of ideas about life. The internet has, has made it so we can consume a seemingly unending amount of content on the topic of living most effectively. However, simultaneously, this access to information has allowed the consumer to realize just how conflicting most ideas are. In the West, the popularity of traditional religion has reduced as a result. And for many, the increasing access to information has revealed that the world is basically without any discernible truth and most ideas about how to live are inconclusive and unreliable. It is fair to speculate that this could be a major contributing factor to the modern world's increasing levels of anxiety, cynicism, and disillusion. Choosing between conflicting ideas of how to live has always been an issue for the individual. But in the modern world where conflicting ideas are constantly smacking us in the face, we can often find ourselves failing in our attempt to find footing in this reality. At birth, it's as if we're all given a slab of clay. We get to choose what to mold it into. However, there is no right or wrong way to mold the clay. Rather, there are endless ways, all equally absurd, all equally meaningless. 
And so the reality is here, there is a sense that this absolute truth is just unreliable. It really is unreliable. Let me, let me just summarize that article, what he's saying there. We can all own our own truth. We can all decide what is true for us, and we can even look through the catalog of truth. Think about that. There's a catalog of truth at all the options and choose the one true or truths that we like best or we think fits us best. The problem occurs when we realize that the truths on page three, four, five, six, and seven of the catalog all contradict each other. They do. And that leaves us then, it leaves us, as the article said, riled with anxiety, cynicism, and disillusion. We're, we're just left reeling inside because relative truth, it's really not a thing. I don't know if you can say it's really a thing, but relative truth, how the world views it, is, in fact, unreliable. It is unreliable. And uh, we just need to know that. You go to the doctor, right? And maybe there's something wrong and you go to the doctor and, and, uh, and they can give you some information. But until they maybe run tests or something, you don't really know. You might go home from the doctor and you can conjure up all kinds of ideas in your mind about what's true. You could be dead. You, you could be, you know, you could be, that's ah, no big deal. It's nothing to worry about. I'll just ignore it, whatever. But the doctor might run tests and come back and say, okay, this is what you're dealing with. This is the absolute truth of what you're dealing with. And that gives you some peace and some security to some degree to know how to move forward instead of just deciding in your mind and making up all kinds of things and stressing yourself out. Relative truth is unreliable and relative truth is contradictory. It is contradictory. It is. I was thinking, for instance, take Jerry and, and Jane. So here's two people, and Jerry believes, Jerry believes, hey, everybody's truth is their own truth, and everybody's truth is equal. And Jane believes, no, there is one definitive absolute truth in the Scriptures and in Jesus Christ. She, Jerry has just contradicted himself, right? Because he has to disavow Jane. Well, everybody's truth, except Jane's. Jane's truth can't be any good because, you know, and Jane, but Jane, no, Jane has not contradicted herself because Jane is saying, no, there is one absolute truth. It's been proven. It's Christ. It's the scriptures. It's the word. It's 6,000 years old. Here's all the evidence. And over here is Jerry. It's like, no, everybody's truth is equal. And everybody, no, that's a contradictory statement because there are some people that believe that all aren't equal, if that makes sense. That's the reality. There's another equation here when we think about truth being absolute that can help us. Think of this equation, right? It tells us in what we read here that Jesus is eternal. And then it tells us that Jesus is the truth. What does that mean? Well, if Jesus is, is eternal, he's always been, and Jesus is the truth, that means the truth is what? Eternal. So the truth is eternal. It's unchanging. The truth has been the same since Adam and Eve were placed in that garden. It has not changed. God's truth, God's standard, God's belief about whatever these hot button issues are today, transgenderism or whatever. God's truth has never changed for 6,000 years. It is what it is. And we know that from the scriptures. At the end of this passage, we have this very famous, we looked at this a, few, a couple weeks back. This is when Jesus says he's God without saying actually that he's God. And listen to what he says to these religious leaders. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? 
Like, how did you and Abraham see each other? How did he see your day? He's 4,000 years in the past. You're, you're 50 years old. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, I am the I am. I, I, am, I, I am the very I am that was on the mountain with Moses when he got the Ten Commandments. I am eternal. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And because he is eternal, his truth is eternal. His truth never changes. One of the common, common falsities of the world today is that, okay, you've got the God of the Old Testament, right? And he's irrational and he's judgmental and he's angry and he's hateful and he's wrathful and he's whatever all this. This is the God of the Old Testament. And then here's Jesus. He's the God of the New Testament. I like him because he's love and he's grace and he's peace. He's all, you know, he's cool. No, they're the same. The, the, the God over here that did everything in the Old Testament was Jesus. It's the same God. And, and the God of the Old Testament was actually incredibly merciful and gracious and kind and slow to anger. You just haven't read the scriptures. You haven't, you haven't looked at how long-suffering God was in the Old Testament. That's the truth. So, so truth here is a person and then truth is also um, absolute and then it's also offensive. Look, look at here. Look, look at these next Verses 37 and 38. I know that you are offering, you are the offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. The truth is offensive. Like they are ready to kill Jesus. They don't like his words. It's offending them. He's calling out their sin. They don't like that one bit. He has a threat to them. You know, one of the elements today, when you think about the cross, the cross itself isn't so much under, under attack today. Uh, the fact that Jesus died isn't so much under attack today, but why Jesus died is under attack today. Because if you say that Jesus died on the cross today, he died for sin. Oh, no, wait, time out. I don't like that. If you say that Jesus died on the cross to join us in our suffering, to demonstrate love, oh, that's great, yeah. He died to demonstrate love. He died to join us in our suffering, but he didn't die to, yeah. That whole thing of dying for my sin and being a substitution for my sin, that's no good. And I, th I think that's really fascinating because I believe personally that there's multiple reasons why Christ died. I believe he died on the cross to join us in our suffering and to demonstrate love. That's part of it, yeah, to give us victory over, and I believe he died for our sin. I, all those things are true. But here's the reality. If you say that Jesus died just to join us in our sufferings, I have a question for you. Why are you suffering? Because of sin. So he didn't come just to join you in your suffering, but to deliver you from that suffering. So yes, that's true. And the cross, though, is offensive to people, and Jesus was offensive to people. Jesus answered them, truly, or truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's offensive, you know? It's like, don't tell me I'm sinning. Don't tell me there's a right and a wrong. But he came to set us free from that. And Jesus has the authoritative answer to life's biggest and deepest 
questions. He does. So Jesus tells us the truth. He is the truth. And one last observation today, you know what that means? It means that Jesus has the truth. That Jesus has the truth. He tells the truth. He is the truth. And if you receive him as your savior, he has the truth for you. Which means you won't find the truth in a sex change, in a new marriage, in a new boyfriend or girlfriend, in a bottle, in a career, in a religion, or on vacation. You will only find it in Christ and in his word. But he has the truth for your life to life's biggest and deepest questions. Let me tell you the absolute truth about truth. Biblical truth is super practical. It is. It's just super practical. And we can many times look at truth and think, well, it's theological or it's doctrinal or it's rules and it's how I should live my life and, and all of that. And, and, and it is. It's all of that. But it is also super practical. I mean, it really, you live out God's truth. It will bless your life. It just will. You can't escape that reality. It answers, again, life's biggest questions and it answers life's deepest questions questions really right again questions about my identity my purpose my significance my worth my eternity all of that is wrapped up in God's absolute truth that's what everybody is searching for and everybody says well I've got my I'm owning my own truth and yet they're still searching for all of that because their truth won't give them purpose and significance and identity meaning or eternity that's the reality so what this means for us in, in the issue of apologetics is the reality is when we are doing apologetics, there's this intersection, as we said last week, between apologetics and evangelism. This intersection comes in here, and, and the reality is we have to have a bit of a practical theology. Like all of this theology has to have a practical focus. Like this is how it infects your, your, your life on a day-to-day -day sense, practically. It's how you live it out. It's like we talked about in the series. It's not only telling a compelling story. It is about being a compelling story. How do I be a compelling story? How do I use my story to share the gospel and defend the hope? 1 Timothy 3, 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing to you these things in case I am delayed so that you will know how each one must conduct himself in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth or the support or the buttress or the base or the ground of truth. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be right here in Robinson Township, the foundation of truth. We will tell you the truth. Even if, if it offends you, we'll tell you the truth and we'll do it in a loving gracious way because we believe the truth can set you free and we believe the truth can answer your deepest questions in life that you're looking for it's true churches may differ, differ, disagree on how they interpret certain parts of the bible and they might we might see things a little different here and there but when it comes to the gospel and there are certain parts of the bible that are the bible is just dead clear on and if the bible is dead clear on it we need to be dead clear on it for the society and the world around us to say this is the truth and Satan, what Satan does is he attacks the most clear truths of the scripture. Why? Because he knows it will destroy society. Like, yeah, if I just attack this and this and this, I can just wipe out a society. I can just destroy a society if I tear apart the nuclear family. And if I compromise the church, wow, wow, I've made great progress because the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So let me run through here real quickly. We'll wrap up today. I'll give you a handful. Just real briefly. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever knows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's just a handful 
a practical theology of what the truth looks like. Jesus has the truth that will show me the way. If you're, if you're tired of walking in the darkness, if you're tired of stumbling around in the dark, Jesus has the truth that will show me the way. He's the light of the world. We have an issue around here, I know, in Robinson Township, right? You're always getting these blackouts. Can you imagine if your life was a, a constant spiritual blackout? That's where most people are today. Every, every day the lights are out and they're searching for life's deepest, the answers to life's deepest questions. That's the reality. Paul tells us in Philippians, we're to be lights in the world, shining the way, pointing the way to Christ. John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus has the truth that will give me assurance. He, he will give me assurance. The good news, especially as Paul shares it with us later on in the scriptures here, tells us that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where we stand with God. If, if I own my sin, own your own, if you own your own sin, you're going to die in your sin separated from Christ. If you give your sin to Christ, if you take on his life and his righteousness and his forgiveness, you'll become a new person in Christ. Here's what assurance looks like. It's the joy of the abundant life. It's the strength of the spiritual life. It's the hope of eternal life. Are you living with that? Because you know Christ. You have the joy of abundant life, the strength of spiritual life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can face anything, and I have the hope of eternal life. And that's what most people who are living in a spiritual blackout, well, that's all people in a spiritual blackout, they don't have that. They don't have that reality. Verses 28 and 29, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority and speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not let me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. He has the truth that will give me peace. He has the truth that will give me peace and Jesus gives us a beautiful example. Did you see that beautiful example here? The word authority there in verse 28. I do nothing on my own authority. I live a life where I seek in verse 29 that is pleasing to the Father. That's, that's the avenue to peace. The gateway to peace and rest is authority. Placing yourself under the Father's authority, under God's divine truth. It is. What a beautiful example that Jesus, who is God, would set aside his divine privilege, come down as a human and live under the Father's authority and do whatever pleased the Father to be an example to us of what that looks like in our life. When you, when, when you struggle with the obstacle of truth in apologetics, all you're doing is, is struggling with, the, with an obstacle to peace. So Jesus said to the Jews, verse 31, who had believed him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus has the truth that will set me free. If you're tired of living, chained to your past and your pain and your problems and your mistakes and your sin and your disappointments, if you're, if you're tired of all that, all your poor choices, you want to be set free, Jesus has the truth that will set you free. And note again where we find the truth in that verse. Did you see that back in that verse? If you abide in my word. If you abide in my word right here. Jesus is the word. If you abide in my word. You'll be set free. It's that simple. God's absolute truth can set you free. 
Again, God's word will once again answer life's deepest questions, show you who you can be in Christ, and help you find purpose for this life. And one last one, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I never saw this before. This really caught my attention. Look what that's saying. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Just think a minute, right? So you go over to the book of Acts. We were there last week, and they're telling the disciples to shut up about Jesus, and they're trying to silence, you know. And so the whole time Jesus is on earth, they didn't see that Jesus was God, right? But I think Jesus is saying something kind of prophetic here. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. The book of Acts, when they were trying to shut up the disciples and try to silence the disciples, they knew what they were doing. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew they had crucified the Messiah. Jesus has the truth to counter my lies. And all they were doing there in the book of Acts, at best you could say, is they were lying to themselves. I don't think they were even lying to themselves. I think they know deep in their heart. They knew deep in their heart, he's the Messiah. He's a threat to our power. We have to silence his followers. That's why when he rose from the grave, he had the, they had the soldiers conjure up that lie that he had been stolen by the disciples. Jesus has the truth to counter my lies. And they knew at that point, they knew that he was the Messiah. And now their insincerity and their self-serving character is fully exposed. The interesting thing here is that this is what the resurrection does for anyone who truly looks into it. It forces you to deal with Jesus. It forces you to deal with the truth. Not only did God tell us hundreds of years in advance that Jesus would die and rise again, he had the power to rise again. And the one who rose again is the one who is the source of all truth. Jesus tells us the truth. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus has the truth. He has the truth. Jesus has the authoritative answer to life's biggest and deepest questions. Let me share this little thing here and then a final comment. No one wants to be seen as a liar. Liars are considered untrustworthy and yet we are perfectly content to lie to ourselves all the time. I enjoy the sleeve of Oreos today because my diet starts tomorrow, I might tell myself. Or I love my job. Who cares that I complain about it constantly? Or even ironically, I am always honest with myself. Deceiving yourself doesn't make logical sense. After all, lying involves telling someone something you know to be untrue. When you are both the liar and the one lied to, this means you have to both know the truth and not know the truth. To be really happy, we must learn to be completely honest with ourselves. Relatively few people are completely honest with others. In one study, researchers found that 60% of people lied at least once during a 10-minute conversation, and many lied multiple times. Distorting reality inside your own head might even be more common. No one is completely honest with themselves because the truth hurts. Life is simply full of harsh realities. All that self-deception takes a lot of work to maintain. Consider procrastination a form of self-deception that can be trivial. I'll unload the dishwasher later. Or catastrophic, I'll call the doctor next week about that chest pain. This form of self-deception is costly, not only because avoiding problems can make them worse, but also because the procrastinator must do the mental work of a task over and over without reaping the rewards of actually getting it done. We relate to that too much, huh? 
If you are willing to, willingly obvious to, if you are will, willfully oblivious to your flaws, you can't correct them. In the end, each, each of us has to decide, do I want the full truth? No matter where it leads, the honest path isn't easy. But you can be sure that day by day, you will be proud to say that the person in the mirror is not a liar, and that will be the truth. That's Arthur C. Brooks. Quit lying to yourself. And so I thought it's, it's really interesting as we close today. Let me just leave you with this thought. We can look at God's word as the absolute truth, and it is. Yet the truth is extremely personal. This word right here, God's word, is the absolute truth in my life, if I let it be. While God's word is exactly the same for each of us this morning, it's speaking to all of us in a uniquely personal way. God's word is a window into my soul. It is a mirror for the soul, reflecting back to me where I need to embrace the truth in my life more fully. And this is what makes for a compelling story, does it not? As I embrace God's truth, it serves as the foundation for my life, all while transforming my mind and shaping my behaviors. I wonder this morning, though, where we need to be more honest with ourselves. Where am I being deceived right now in my own life? Where is the philosophy of this world trumping the theology of God's word? Let me give you two areas of application. Two questions. I'll give you two questions in closing. First, sorry about that. Um, one is what does it look like when it comes to life's deepest questions? Am I processing life's deepest questions? So as you think about am I being honest with myself, what about who am I, my identity? Why am I here, my purpose? Does anyone love me, my worth? Why do I matter, my significance? And what happens when I die, my eternity? Just answer that question in regards to God's absolute truth. And am I being honest with myself in these areas? That God has the truth for me in these areas. And then the other area I would simply say is when it comes to this issue of, of apologetics and evangelism. Just ask yourself this in four areas. Being honest with yourself. Do I need to be more engaged in apologetics and evangelism? Do I need to be more bold in my apologetics and evangelism? Do I need to be more gentle and respectful in my apologetics and evangelism? Do I need to get more personal in my apologetics and evangelism? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the words of Jesus. Thank you for your truth that can set us free, that can answer life's deepest questions, that can fill us with hope and joy and peace. Ah, so much more. Thank you, Lord, today for your word. I pray today that you'll help us process it personally as it speaks to our life. And we're gonna give you all the honor and glory and praise today. Send us home, Lord, with your joy. Bring us back next week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.